When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey out there, rock fans. Welcome to the 44th edition of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast, recorded right here in central London, just off historic Abbey Road, where me, Mac B, the Wolf, and Action Jackson talk all things classic rock, hard rock, prog rock, heavy metal, early MTV, all the stuff that we were into growing up and have gotten into over the years. And we really want to give a shout out to Neil at Def Lep Pod for coming on our show last week. We had a great time talking to Neil. He's a super guy. He knows absolutely everything you want to know about Def Leppard and then some. And we just had a great time talking with him about the history of the band, about the album Hysteria, all the B-sides, all the turmoil that went into making that record. And it was a great show for us. We had a lot of downloads. We had a lot of feedback on Twitter. uh, And we really appreciate it. And uh, we appreciate Neil. And if you want to check out his show, which is great, I think he's got a new show coming out here really shortly. It's at Def Lep Pod, and you can get it really anywhere you get your podcast. This week, for you Prague fans out there, we're going to finally get to review a live concert. Can you imagine that? After so very long of not being able to see live music, it's starting to come back here in London and in the UK. And I had the great privilege of seeing Steve Hackett, guitar legend and former member of Genesis from 1971 to 77, performed with his extraordinary band at the London Palladium. And it was a great night out. Of course, Steve is on a tour right now, honoring Seconds Out, the classic Genesis Live album released in 1977 that really covered his entire tenure with the band and those classic Gabriel and Phil Collins era hits from the 1970s, including the epic Supper's Ready, which is the entire half of Foxtrot back in the day. Not our first show on Hackett and Genesis. Show number 28 was our review of Selling England by the Pound. Of course, part of that was covered in the show. And shows five and six was really talking about Steve Hackett, trying to introduce him to a bigger audience because he's so underrated and not known as well as he should be in America. Talking about my journey to find him and trying to turn Jackson onto him as well. And if you think that's too much Genesis or too much Prague, well, keep your seatbelts buckled there, folks, because Genesis is playing in London on October the 12th, and I will be there at the O2, and you can bet you're going to hear about that on this show as well. But I want to focus on Steve because he's such an amazing guitar player, and it's my first show in almost two years, which is rare for me. I I never go that long between shows. Of course, it's not just me. Everyone was in this boat, both artists and fans alike, all over the world. And so it was really special for me to finally be able to get back out there and see a legend, a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame member like Steve Hackett, and hear these songs. Seconds Out is really an amazing classic. 
And as I've said before, prog is a very English subgenre. I think the English fan, the British people take it very personally and seriously. And the crowd was way into it this night. It was a lot of fun to be surrounded by so many hardcore fans and people who've been listening to this music for almost 50 years. It was a special night for me. Now, as usual, we want you to follow us and check out what we're doing. You can see all past episodes at www dot ugly american werewolf dot libsyn l-i-b-s-y-n dot com and check us out on twitter at ugly underscore werewolf and at actionjack72 let us know what you want us to talk about which albums which bands you want to hear more about so with that folks I want to take you on a little journey down to central london to the london palladium where i got to see mr steve hackett and his extraordinary band playing we're going to talk about it right here on the wolf Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. It was fun to be out in London again after so long of not really being able to do a whole lot. And it was a nice night. So I walked to the Palladium. It's really only a few miles from my house. And I could walk through beautiful Regent's Park and listen to a podcast on the way down there. So it was a nice night to kind of walk down there. And then my first time in the Palladium, which is a bit of an historic venue, which is cool. I think the Beatles did a big... It was the, in like 63, it was the biggest show they'd ever done. And maybe it was televised, something like that. So it's kind of cool to be in, in an old spot. And for my fourth concert, I was like, you know, I really haven't seen that many shows here since I've been here because of COVID mainly. But I was fortunate. I mean, the first three shows were at Wembley Stadium, the O2, and the Hammersmith Odeon, which two Americans like who have bought records and seen performances at those venues, like that's pretty historic. But the Palladium, I guess, has its own history that I am just starting to be more aware of. Yeah, it looked pretty cool from the outside. And and my thought was, I mean, I was excited to go to the Rush movie. I mean, just to get out and, and be with like-minded fans. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what, what was that? What was the uh, the lead up? Like, you know, you start, like I said, you walk, but, you know, you start walking and whatever. And then you get a little closer and then you get a little closer. And then, oh, I can see it. I mean, what, what was the level of excitement? Because not only to see Steve Hackett, 
which you were excited to, but I mean, just to see live music again after what seems like an eternity. Yeah, and it's, it hasn't even quite been two years since I saw The Cult at uh, Hammersmith for the 30th anniversary of, of Sonic Temple. Yeah, it was cool because it, the Palladium, it's uh, right near Oxford Circus, right off Regent Street. And so I, I know exactly where that is. I've been there because I had to get my phone fixed a couple of times. The Apple Store is right there on Regent Street. But I walk down there, and then you take a left kind of down this alley, and then you come around the corner, and then there's the marquee, right? Mm-hmm. Steve Hackett tonight with his picture, with the signs down the side. I'm like, oh, man, I remember what this was like. This is cool, you know? So it turns out I had just a little, a little trouble with my ticket because I like to have the physical tickets. Uh, you know, I have a big ticket book, and I'd like to have those physical tickets. Some people just like to download the tickets, and if there's a good chance you'll resell them, that's a good idea. But if you're fairly certain you're going to go to the concert, I like to have the physical ones. And I was on Ticketmaster a few days before the show. It was like four days before the show. And it said, if your tickets haven't arrived five days before the show, contact us because we better do something about it. I'm like, okay. Well, it's four days before. It's Thursday and the show's on Monday and you know nothing's going to get done over the weekend. So I'm like, all right, I better reach out. So I said, hey, I ordered tickets. Haven't gotten them yet. Like, yeah, we don't know what happened. They're probably lost in the mail. We'll cancel that one. We'll get you one. Just go down to Will Call and get it. Of course, Saturday, then my ticket came. And so I'm like, you know, I'm going to take this with me just in case. And then I'll have two tickets, maybe, two souvenirs from the show. So I get down there. I got to go into the box office. They kind of shuffle me into this little room. And they don't have any ticket for me in there. They don't know anything about it. He's looking at all the different lists, and there's nothing there. He's like, well, do you have your original ticket? I'm like, yeah, I'm glad I brought that. He's like, you know what? That's fine. They don't even scan that. Just show that, and you can walk right in. So I go back outside. (laughs) I go to the door. And sure enough, there's girls scanning, you know, with their little scanning machines. She looks at it. Okay, that's good. Go in. I'm like, oh, really? That's it? Okay, but it was cool because the Stones, number nine, Carnaby Street store is not that far away, and there's a couple of pubs and fun shops. So it's kind of a neat part of town. It's right there, kind of in the center of the city. And yeah, getting in there, I thought, okay, well, I'll walk around. I'll check out the venue. I don't have, I had tickets on the upper echelon, so there's the, the main floor, there's the balcony, and then there's the grand tour, which is the upper, upper balcony. That's where I was. So I figured, well, I'll just go down because I got there early. I'll go down there and just take a look, maybe look at the venue from the bottom, go look at the merch stand, see what kind of T-shirts and that kind of stuff that he has. Mm-hmm. But if you had Grand Tour seats, there's a stairway to take you up to that. And so he said, where are your tickets, Grand Tour? Okay, you go in this door, not the main entrance. You go in this door and it just takes you straight up the stairs to that level. So there wasn't kind of any intermingling in the lobby or anything like that. I just kind of went straight up to this level. And of course, they had a bar there, but they didn't have much else. So I was kind of confined to that general area. I don't know if that's always the case during pre-COVID times, but that was the case on Monday night. Okay. So... And then, so like, take me through the how felt to be like when you got to the seating area, you know, Mm -hmm. you kind of have that pre, there's people talking, you know, you can kind of see the stage, you kind of get, that's, again, to me, that's kind of the fun part too, because, you know, you're like, okay, so what what can I see for the setup? You know, how, how far, because I mean, you, especially now in the age of the computer buying ticket experience, a lot of times you can kind of see where you are, Mm -hmm. but you don't really know until you get there, you know, how is this really going to look in real time? Okay. Now I, I see how much I can see of the stage and I can see everybody else. So, I mean, was that, could you see anything that was set up or do they have a curtain up? 
No, no, they had it all set up there and ready to go, and there was no curtain there. And, you know, this time I didn't have my typical Mac B super awesome tickets. Usually when I go see an artist, I know when they come on sale. I get into the pre-sale. I figure out how to get the best ones. I had just decided on a whim in, I think it was 2019 or maybe the start of 2020 pre-COVID, that I would go see Steve Hackett again. I'm like, hey, why not? I know I saw him in the front row several years ago, and I thought, well, that would be the greatest Steve Hackett experience ever. I don't necessarily need to see him again. But I'm like, no, no, look, you live in London. He's doing a couple of shows. Just go ahead and get seats. So I, I did that after they went on sale. So I knew I wasn't going to get the best in the world. And obviously, I'm in the upper deck. So that's that's not the greatest. And they once you're up there they kind of start to go straight up. You, you get a little okay. vertigo up there if you're not careful. Because yeah. I think when it was built in 1910, it was like a 3,500-seater. But obviously, people were a lot smaller back then. So over the years, they've built bigger seats to accommodate bigger people and making them more comfortable. And that's easy on the floor. But on the upper deck, you can't do that because it's just big concrete slabs that basically create the benches that you put mm-hmm. the seats on. So I get there, and I sit down, and... If I was in a coach airplane seat, I would have been 10 times more comfortable. Like, that's how small (laughs) – my knees were hanging over the guy in front of me, and my feet, my size 13 feet, could barely fit under the seat. The good news is nobody sat next to me, so I could kind of spread out a little bit. But I thought it was a beautiful old theater. It was cool. And, yeah, the setup was all there. You could see all of Steve's – Steve has an amazing array of pedals – all the effects to get all that sound and tone. He has this incredible array right in front of him. And I'll talk a little bit more about each band member here in a bit. But it was cool. And then from my vantage point, if I'm looking at the stage, you know, looking at what would be stage left to me, stage right to the performers, I could kind of see the the desk or at least one of the guys back there who could mix the sound or work the lights or whatever. So you you can kind of see part of that and see... Because obviously not all songs have vocals in Steve's repertoire. And so Nad Sylvan, his singer, isn't on for every song. And sometimes he'll come on, sing his bit, and then he'll kind of saunter off and chill out while the band plays without him. And I could kind of see where he was chilling out back there. So it was it was cool to be in an old theater. Uh, and I got there early so I could see the, the crowd kind of filter in. And at 48 years old, I was definitely one of the youngest people there. Aha, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, there was a father with a son who was probably young in his 20s on my row, but that was about it. I did not see any, like, teenagers. I think there was a father and a daughter sitting in front of me, but it was mostly a bunch of old dudes, sometimes old dudes with their wives and girlfriends, but usually just a bunch (laughs) of old dudes uh, who were there trying to relive a bit of their childhood, and I, uh, you know, I can relate to that. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's, I, I don't know, I, I, I run back and forth on that. Like, it's cool that, as long I guess as long as the crowd is into it, it mm-hmm. really doesn't matter who's there. And I think I'd rather have, I'd rather see that than I'd rather have a whole bunch of people. Like, when I went to go see the, the KISS show here in Jacksonville, mm-hmm. I think there were a lot of people that showed up just to say they went. Right. And so the crowd wasn't really into it. So my point is, I'd rather have a crowd that maybe, like, you look at it like, well, it's not very energetic. Right. Uh, demographic here but as long as they get into it and really are fans of the music i'd rather have that than people that are like yeah i just went to say i came here but i don't really i mean i couldn't tell you 
any of these songs that they're going to play. So, I mean, was he, once they started, was the energy there? I mean, was everybody was excited to be there? Yeah, it was good. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of standing up going on. It's it, Like I said, it's an older crowd and an English crowd. And so they, they certainly clapped and applauded and sang along to their favorite okay. stuff. But they didn't jump up and cheer a whole lot. And I thought, well, that's okay. I mean, I know how old you are. And <laughs> even Steve was sitting down through portions of the show. So, like, yeah, I, we, we get it. That, that's cool. But, no, they were definitely big fans. You could tell there were people who had been Genesis fans since the 70s who were there and were cool. psyched about it. And you could hear some conversations between how... They'd rather be there that night than in Birmingham because at the exact, or Birmingham, I should say. It's Birmingham in Alabama. It's Birmingham here. But at Birmingham NEC on Monday night, Genesis, the other three guys, kicked off what should be their last tour. And so while I was texting you and tweeting and putting up pictures of the stage and getting excited for the show, there were also, I was seeing on my feed texts about, all right, here we are at NEC and Genesis is about to happen tonight, too. So I heard a lot of people talk about how they would rather be there with Steve hearing more of the old stuff than in Birmingham watching Phil sit on a stool and singing Land of Confusion and stuff that they could care mm. less about, right? Yeah, yeah. And I, and I guess that's the that's the real key to this is that probably at the Genesis show, there were a lot more of the people I was talking about before. You know, oh yeah, no, I know yeah, Land of Confusion or Throwing It All Away, but these are the hardcore old school fans that want to hear the stuff that Steve was going to play. And I've seen, I've seen a couple of, of videos of Ned Silver singing. He does a great job. I mean, it's, it's a, sonically, everybody's going to be on point. There isn't going to be any Vince Neil where it's like, yeah, he's the, he's the singer that was always there, but he didn't have it anymore. Right. Right. No, no. So it, it was great. So lights come on, show starts, everybody's into it. And so that, that to me, that I, I love that rush of the beginning of the, because you don't, again, you don't know really know how it's going to sound until they start into it. And then either like, oh, I can only hear the bass and the drum and this is going to be terrible or wow, this sounds really good. And I can imagine with that, the caliber of musician that was playing, the style of music and the venue I, I would imagine it sounded pretty good right off the bat. It did, you know, and here's the thing. He's been touring very steadily for the last 12, 15 years, maybe even 20 years. He's never really stopped. But I feel like since Genesis got in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, he has been prolific, not only in getting out on the road, but in making new records and then releasing live albums and live DVDs. He's made like six or seven, like, double live CDs in the last 12 years, and I think I have all of them or all but one because I'm a sucker. And, you know, once I want to support somebody, I, I get into it, you know. And look, mm -hmm. I support Iron Maiden, but if I don't buy their album the first month, it doesn't really matter. Those guys are, you know, they're rich and they continue on and they've got plenty of fans all over the world. Steve Hackett, though, he has many fans. In the U.S., it, he's very underrated and unknown. And I just figure, hey, I'll support him and get reward for it because he made two albums in lockdown and he played a couple songs off his recent one, the one that came out this month, Surrender of Silence. Oh, okay. He played a couple in the beginning. So here's how it started. The house lights go down and like, oh, all right, here we go. Everybody settle in. We're getting ready to go here. Here we go. And then the band kind of slowly walk out and march out to their little spots and get settled in and everything. And it starts with clocks, the Angel of Mons, off of Spectral Mornings, which is one of my very favorite Steve Hackett records. I think it's the third one he made in the 70s. 
And so they start on that. I think they, they kind of start on it without him. And then eventually he kind of is led out there and another round of applause and a shout or two for him. And then he starts to play and it goes really well. And it was great. It went down great. And then he addresses the crowd. And between each of the songs in the first set, he would address the crowd and he'd talk about how it's good to be back and how you'll hear some stuff from, he was in another band light years away, you know, a long time ago. And that, you know, he had a new record. And it did go into the charts very quickly, and then it fell out of the charts very quickly. So that's just what happens. And then he introduced Held in the Shadows uh, as the first song he was going to do off of that. And that was, it starts off uh, kind of acoustically, kind of soft, but then it, it kind of builds up as a lot of his songs kind of have a habit of doing and make it a little bit more momentous. You know, a lot of his work is, is very classical sounding these days. Mm-hmm. I think Roger King, his keyboardist and producer, has a lot to do with that. And so, or maybe it sounds like something that would be good in a movie score kind of thing. And so I, I thought it mixed in well. I mean, he did Clocks, then they did Held in the Shadows, and then third track was Every Day. Okay. So then... Well, and and, and the, the cool part about that is I'm, I'm glad that he kind of had a little intro to the new stuff because, I mean, that record literally just came out. And yeah. so even, even though you're a huge Steve Hackett fan, maybe you haven't had a chance to, number one, get it, or number two, even digest it yet. So the fact that he's saying to you, okay, here's something new, kind of just preps you. You're not sitting there saying, wait, wait which one is this? I don't know what this is. You kind of it, it to me when they introduce the songs, it gives you a little. It kind of primes the pump there. You know what you're getting ready for. But then you know when you go into the the classic stuff, you are you're going to know that no problem. Well, exactly. You know, and when he was introducing every day, it was a pretty long one. First of all, he kind of introduced Amanda Lehman, who is a guitar player and a singer, and also just happens to be his sister-in-law. That's Joe's sister. Ah. Yes, and uh, but she's very talented. And she sang on Shadow of the Hierophant, which is the fifth song we'll get into. But he he talked about how amazing Amanda is as a guitar player and how she basically doubles him during every day. So, you know, you come to the end and Steve's playing all that cool stuff. She's doing it, too, to beef Mm -hmm. it up. It, It was really good. But he also talked about how this song was like an old friend for him. And this is one he generally plays no matter which albums or eras he might be revisiting he generally always plays every day i think it was a top 20 hit in the uk at least the top 40 kind of a hit in the uk that never made any headway in america but it was the song that turned me on to his solo stuff when we saw some of the parts the genesis documentary that i think was a bbc documentary that eventually okay, yeah. it eventually made it to the us on showtime or something like that and then they put out a record a three disc compilation which had a lot of great genesis stuff from over the years and then solo stuff solo stuff from steve hackett from peter gabriel mike and the mechanics phil collins tony banks etc and when i heard every day on there i'm like wow that's an amazing song. It's got incredible guitar work in it. Why did they never play that on the radio in America in my entire life? I don't know. But that got me into it. And then from there, I had to go out and buy his albums. And now, obviously, I'm a, I'm a pretty big fan. So, And to, to watch every day 
and they, they turn the lights kind of back to red and green, which I've seen in some of his videos before. I guess Chris Curran does his lighting and he did an amazing job because it really sets a cool atmosphere when you're listening to progressive rock music. You have to have a certain ambiance and atmosphere out there. And I thought that the given it was not an enormous, it wasn't like there at Royal Albert Hall or something like that, which is 5,200 or whatever, and certainly not the O2. But in a smaller theater, I thought he did great with the lighting and the f- smoke uh, to make it, uh, to give it that effect that was true to the music. But at first, you know, when when it's something I know so well, and maybe it's not perfect or it's just a little different or whatever, at first I'm like, oh man, this is not precise. And then I started to get into the, I realized, well, look, this is live. It's not supposed to be perfect. And maybe he plays it with a little panache that makes it a little different. And once I got in that mindset, of course, then he started to get very precise after that. But just to know that this is, I'm hearing it one way tonight. It'll never be quite the same as any other night it's ever played. And I'm like, wow, no, this is actually really great. And at one point, he, Amanda, the bass player, Jonas Reingold, and their utility infielder, which we'll have to talk about, Rob Townsend, eventually stepped back towards the back of the stage, all four of them, and stood together while he was doing the solo. And they're all doing their bits as well. Kind of like when Blue Oyster called all four guitar players will kind of be in one place at once. I thought it was... I thought it was pretty cool that they kind of choreographed that. They're not jumping up and down or, or kicking their feet, you know, like Kiss or anything. But it was cool. And obviously, it's always a highlight for me to see every day. And he did an amazing job on the solo. So, yeah, that was that was definitely a high point, the first set. Well, the thing that I've always heard is that if you want precise, just listen to the record. Right. So it, it, there is something to be said for, I won't say making mistakes, but, you know, kind of just doing it a little bit different because you figure the other thing is how many times it's he played this lot right and at this point in time how many times have you even played it live with these same people yeah let's do a little something different tonight and yeah you got to hear something that has never existed before and may not exist again so it's kind of to watch it evolve because i can imagine after a while it's just like oh my god if i play this song one more time i'm going to go insane I know. how do i make it how do i make it interesting for me and he and he did an amazing job. It was so much fun. And I'm glad. And obviously, the last time I saw him do that, I was a lot less familiar with his work. But I was very, I was right up close. I was baby, basically six feet away from him. Whereas the folks in the front row there, there's there's this kind of large section where maybe you would put an orchestra before you get to the stage. Mm-hmm. So even if you're front row at the Palladium, you still got to be 20 or 25 feet away from from Steve, something like that. Whereas when I saw him in Cleveland, I could just about reach out and touch him. But you didn't though, right? No, I, I restrained myself. I thought that would okay. be bad for him. Yeah. Yeah, that was that would uh, that would end with uh, security guys escorting you out of the building. So good, good on you for restraining yourself. And speaking of security guys, that night in Cleveland, because I did have front row seats, I was right up there, and the security guy was was up there the whole time, and I sang along to the songs I knew. At the end of the show, we were gathering our stuff. And the security guy came over to me and said, you're a really big Steve Hackett fan. You're really singing along with a lot of songs. We're just like, yeah, you know, I, I kind of just got into him, but I think he's brilliant. And so he handed me the set list that, that he had used to make sure he knew where they were in the set and all oh, that cool. kind of stuff. So it's not like it was Steve Hackett's set list, but yeah, it's a cool little souvenir to take home from sure. the show. Yeah, that's excellent. Yeah. And it's cool because I guess that guy must have been on the tour then, the security guy. It wasn't just the one night in... Or something like, you know, 
or he was fairly, at least he picked up on that, which was kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. I, he may have been the venue security guy, but because uh, he was he was American, he wasn't British. But, uh, but yeah, it was super nice. I mean, usually security guys are dicks. So, I mean, I Correct. kudos to that guy. Don't get me into the guy, the, the Neil Young guy, the guy at the Neil Young concert. I'll, I'll tell you that story some other time. Alrighty. But then he went back and said, so then another new tune, The Devil's Cathedral. And this kind of... Eh, Again, I, I have a new album. I've given it a couple listens, but I don't know it inside out yet. And this had more of a gothic phantom of the opera kind of organ lead in. You know, Roger's doing some really cool stuff back there. And it gets a little heavy metal-ish almost, some of the guitar playing in the middle of it. Um, and, and Amanda was doing some of that with Steve too. So it was... It's kind of epic. Obviously, that fits into progressive rock and a lot of the stuff that he has done throughout his career. So, yeah, I mean, I thought it was a cool song. Having heard it, but not being very familiar with it and seeing Roger do his thing, I thought that was top notch as far as a song that didn't know, wasn't really looking forward to, but then seeing it live, I'm like, yeah, that's good presentation, and it, it's longer, you know, so it was it was cool. I mean, it, it fit in with the first set. Okay, well, that's cool. I mean, again, the, the, yeah, they're, they're, you run the back and forth of, you know, you want to hear new music, and like you said, you've got the album, you've listened to it, but you haven't really digested all the part where in every day you know exactly how it's going to go. Okay, now we're in this part, now we're here, and now here comes the solo. So, but I mean, it is cool to hear that he is doing new music and uh, is playing it. I can imagine the rehearsal for that is like, okay, yeah, this, I, I don't know when he dropped it on the rest of the band that we're playing new songs. <laughs> Uh, the next two weeks. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. They're doing Seconds Out. Well, you've had 45 years to acquaint yourself with Seconds Out. Correct. This new album just came out in September, and although most of them played on the album with him, yeah, you're right. They have to rehearse this stuff. And we saw some stuff on Twitter where they were doing that, getting ready for this tour, uh, which extends into October throughout the uh, the country here. So, yeah. And, and, you know, one thing about that is, I mean, I've played music before in concert style, Mm -hmm. I can't imagine how they do it without music in front of them. I cannot imagine. To know that many songs and to be that precise and to have it all memorized is insane to me. So the, the fact that they could do that, like you said, even though they played on the album, mm -hmm. I mean, it's one thing to play in a studio with it sitting in front of you. Okay, you know, and then I turn the page, here we go. But to learn it verbatim, note for note, in that amount of time, it's just, it's incredible to me. Yeah, and, and it, it came off very well. Came out very well. And then the fifth song, uh, the last of the first set, Shadow of the Hierophant, which is off Voyage of the Acolyte, his original solo album, which he made when he was still very much in Genesis, mm -hmm. was great. Uh, because it has all these kind of different changes in it as far as it's, it's a little acoustic and then it's very not... Uh, and as, as a woman singing and Amanda sang it and she did an amazing job it was beautiful and there was kind of some trade between Roger and, and Steve through it and again this is one that I've known for a while and I was really happy to hear it I have seen him play it before but anytime you see something that familiar and they pull it off even though the band is different than the last time I saw him didn't miss a beat yes it's, it's, it's kind of a longer one too in that you know it's got to change the tempos change the different stuff in it but it sounded wonderful and then it was like yeah okay great and then they went off and took like a 30 minute break jackson like after five songs that's the first set they took a 30 minute break now that surprised me because i i see how long the set is right and and seconds out is like an hour and a half or more so i'm like okay you're, you're probably gonna have to take a break my guess 
was that it was going to be maybe at the midpoint of seconds out, like between side two and side three or something like that. But no, they come out and did, and maybe it was 35 minutes or so, the first set with those five solo songs. And then they took a half an hour break. So it was like they were their own opening act. Did they, uh, did they retool the stage at all? The only thing that was different in the second half was that Amanda Lehman did not play with them at all during the whole okay. seconds out thing. And you did say where you were sitting in your area there was a bar, right? Right. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> this is Neil from Daft Left Pod, and you're listening to the Ugly American Werewolf in London rock podcast. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. And so I thought, okay, well, right, they want to take a little break before they get into seconds out. That makes sense. Maybe 15, 20 minutes. It was every bit of 30 minutes. And I was there solo because I knew my wife didn't want to go. And I'd already forced her to go see Steve Hackett once before. So I'm like, all right, it'll just be better for me to go solo. It'll be one-fourth the price because I don't have to get a babysitter. I don't have to buy a second ticket. I don't have to take her out to a nice dinner. I don't have to take a cab. You know, I can walk there. I can take the tube home. I can get McDonald's if I want. And I don't have anyone asking me questions that I don't care about during the middle of the show. Is this almost over? Yes. What? I'm trying to watch the show. I can listen to you most days of the week. I paid money to see the show, and I want to see, listen to that. I don't want to listen to you. Ah. So, but so it seemed interminable. I'm like, and that's when I started to get feeds in from the Genesis show, which was going on at the same time in Birmingham. But it was cool because was, Joe, I assume it was Joe and not Steve, liked some of my tweets like, hey, I made it. They were liking it in real time. And Amanda retweeted, because during the break I said, Amanda was great with Steve during every day. And she retweeted it. And I'm like, wow, like right now you did that. You don't even wait till the next day. So it was pretty cool to have that up to the minute interaction with them backstage. So was there a was there a point in this intermission where you're like, are they coming back or what's the deal here? Because like you said, you figured 10, 15 minutes. I mean, I could see if they if you were watching them totally redo the stage, like they took everything off, they put a new drum. Okay, I get it, gearing up for something else here. But if they're not doing anything on the stage, yeah, I'd be checking the old watch. Like, are we good here or what's happening? Yeah, but so you know, I mean, they started. Let's call it the seven forty five range and played for 30 or 35 minutes and then yeah they took a half an hour break but then they came back out and did all of seconds out and it ran till nearly 11 o'clock or so so joke yeah they're their own opening act but they played for more than two and a half total hours so that's that's pretty big time especially you know steve's in his 70s 
<clears throat> so, you know, that's they're delivering without a doubt there. But I just, to me, it's like, wow, they basically just opened for themselves with Amanda. And, and then, you know, Amanda, okay, you're done. You can go do whatever. And then we'll carry it the rest of the way. So then, so then the second half was all, when they came back, it was all seconds out Genesis in, in order. songs, correct? Yeah, okay. in order. And that was great because I haven't had seconds out very long in my life. But if you listen to the, if you listen to the records, in the order they come in, which most people do, then you get used to certain songs and certain songs following other songs a certain order. But Seconds yeah. Out was kind of the greatest hits at the time as far as the best songs that they created during the Gabriel and Hackett era of Genesis. There was no greatest hits, I don't think, really at the time. So this was all the best that they'd done to that point. And you'll hear them in different order versus the albums. And so that's why I've always liked Seconds Out because it really is the greatest hits. And then they're doing it live with incredible precision. So would you say that, yeah, I guess, I mean, yeah, I guess I, looking back on this now, they did not have a greatest hits record. And I know that, you know, for people who are purists, they're like, oh, greatest hits are, you know, for suckers because you want to hear everything. But as a way to introduce yourself to the catalog, that's a great way to do it because you can't digest everything at one time and to kind of get you in the door and have him play it like that is, is pretty cool because you get a little sampling of everything. Yeah, greatest hits are for casual fans and for people looking to get into a band. It's like, okay, well, where do I start? Well, you could start them with one of their most famous albums, but they might miss some of the great songs from your other albums. So give them a greatest hits, see which of that they like, and from there they can use that as a guide point to find which albums they want to explore next. Yeah, and I think that that's, uh, that is a good way to, especially especially Genesis, because it is so heavy. Mm-hmm. Like if you listen to, I mean, we did the whole thing. We did a whole show on selling it by the pound. If you listen to that start to finish, that's a meal right there. Yeah, I mean, you is. are kind of almost exhausted after listening to that. So a, a kind of a good intro is kind of, it gets you into the mindset of how to listen to this music. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so they, they come back out finally after it <laughs> seemed like forever. <laughs> And then they go right into Squonk, and I'm like, yeah, this is great, you know, and and that sounds a lot like both Peter Gabriel and Phil Collins. I know a lot of people kind of have a bit of an issue with him because he's he's a bit of an odd guy, and I think he's been a little maybe, mm, what's the best word, Uh, standoffish uh, on Twitter. In social media, as of late, it seems like he's getting into it a little bit with some Genesis fans. But, he, you know, he's got a tough role to play there. He's got to deliver these classic songs that aren't his uh, in the voice of two different men who are similar but not the same, who are both icons. It, it's it's not easy to do. I thought he did a great job and it's when he's belting certain things out and getting the crowd to clap along. That's the lead singer's job. But the thing is, unlike almost every lead singer in the world stands front center stage, he stands back and to the left in front of Roger's keyboard rig and and kind of behind the utility infielder Rob Townsend, kind of between those two guys. And then Steve obviously occupies the center stage spotlight because he does sing now, even though he didn't back in the day. And obviously, as the lead guitar player, his name Marquee, he's center stage. So he's occupying kind of an odd space anyway. And here's my problem with this whole deal now is what do you want? I mean, you're not going to get Peter Gabriel back right. with anything close to, to this. It, Phil Collins is doing the Genesis thing. So would you rather have Nat or would you rather have nothing? So that's and, – and you're right. 
he's trying to he's trying to play a part. These aren't his songs. He's just singing them for your enjoyment. That is a little bit of a weird deal because yeah, you're right. You're used to seeing the lead singer front and center, but it's Steve's show. That's right. the thing. He's not the star of the show. Steve is the star of the show. So that 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 makes it a little bit different. But yeah, I, I just have a hard time. I mean, and that's the Twitter world. No matter what you do, somebody's going to crap all over you, and you kind of just have to you have to accept that and move on. But I, I would rather see this than nothing. Absolutely. You know, and I actually, I bumped into a guy at, at my daughter's school. He's like, he, were you at, were you at the Steve Hackett show the other night? I said, yeah, I was. And he's like, yeah, no, I thought I saw you up there. And so he's English and he, I think had been a fan of Genesis for so long. And he'd listened, one of those guys who listened inside out over and over as a young man. So it's imprinted on him and it has a special place in his heart. And he was a little indifferent in that he's like, eh, watching old men, sing these songs, you know, the innocence is out of it from when they were young and did this. I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, do you want a bunch of 23-year-old kids singing this song or do you want authentic people to do it? Because the only people who are authentic are old men now. And he was bagging on that a little bit. But I'm like, you know, what do you want from the guy? He's well, what, what was he? What was he upset about? Well, it's just like, it, I think it was, and this may be a very English thing, it's like it, it lost the innocence of like the 20-somethings when they wrote these songs and were singing about these things that were taking place and changing in English society. Like you said, we got way into selling England by the pound on, on our past episode there. And I guess it, it, it means a lot to them and then to say, well, this is different. I'm like, well, what did you expect? I, that, that's the part I didn't get from is what do you expect? Now, I don't think, I think he thought Nad was a weirdo. And there's a lot of people in that camp, my wife included, should have seen the dirty looks. She was giving Nad such nasty, dirty looks that Steve saw it. And she was looking at her like, is she going to do something? Like, what's wrong with this girl? Because usually people in the front row are like happy and just watching and smiling. And she's like like scowling. Of course, on Monday night, Nad wore kind of rock star singer clothes, like some black pants that flared out like bell bottoms, maybe some kind of velvet black, you know, shirt on. But when we saw him in Cleveland years back, I mean, he, he looked like someone in a painting you'd see in a museum, like the from the 1700s, oh like, you know, the 18th Earl of dick suck or whatever, you know, with the gold and the frills and all that kind of stuff. And he, and he had makeup on because he's a performer, you know, and, and my wife is from the deep South and they don't have a lot of boys that look like that down there. And uh, okay. she's looking at him like, what is that? And Steve was looking at her like, is she okay? Is she doing something? I'm like, Jesus, she will do not embarrass me in front of Steve Hackett. But I think this guy was the same guy. Like that, that guy's no good. And I'm like, well, I don't know what you want from him. Peter Gabriel won't sing these songs. I went back and looked at like the last 12 years of Peter Gabriel touring and he didn't sing any, not one of his Genesis era songs. He only sings his solo stuff. So you can't get it from him. Phil Collins doesn't sing this stuff on his solo tours. So it was 1992 that you could have seen Genesis do some of these songs. It was 2007 or it's Steve Hackett with this guy who's been doing it a lot. For the last dozen years. And so I appreciated what Nad was doing. And I thought he gave it his all. I thought he belted out some great stuff, especially on Supper's Ready. I thought he did a fantastic job. But you could you could make that argument, that dude's argument for anybody now. I mean, you could you say like Metallica, well, they're not 20 years old anymore. They're not angry, poor kids, you know, right. living in the living in the studio or in some kind of flop house place. They're millionaires and they're still playing these songs. So I mean, I get it. I mean, 
U2 is the same way. Sunday, mm-hmm. Bloody Sunday. Okay, again, that was a million years ago. Do you still want to listen? To but I mean, it's it's hearing the music, and part of it is reliving that. We remembering when you were when you first got into it, and and just having that couple of hours when you were you could go back in time. And then my other point to this guy from your school is, then why did you even go? I mean, if you were that been out of shape you knew who was going to be there you knew nad you knew the whole deal you knew how old they were like right. were you expecting something different i don't know but I, I feel like he might have been in the minority because it seemed like everybody else was pretty psyched to be there and, and enjoying it for the most part so i would think if you bought a ticket and showed up yeah you knew what you were getting yourself into and you were excited to be there yeah and i, I love they came up with squonk and carpet crawlers of course carpet crawlers is a little bit more mellow Gotta get in to get out. My daughter likes to sing that, and she's seven, you know, so they had some softer stuff in there. And did Robbery, Assault, and Battery, which I don't know super well, but but it was good. And then they did Afterglow, which is a great Phil Collins, Steve Hackett era Genesis song. Now, Steve doesn't do a whole lot. He's kind of just doing a little bit of what would be acoustic on there and, and very spared, not big solo in that one like there are in some of the other songs. But he stood up and... and stood next to Nad while he sang it. And I thought that was great. That was cool. It's not one that necessarily showcases his talent, but it's a beautiful song. Mm-hmm. And it's more of a singer's song than a Tony Banks jamming out song or a Steve Hackett song. But it was on the album, Seconds Out, and uh, and it, it was great. And then they follow that up with Firth of Fifth, which of course is a big Tony Banks and Steve Hackett mm-hmm. showcase, you know, if yeah. you ask me. Fantastic song off Selling England by the Pound. And it's one that Genesis continued to do throughout their career, even after Hackett left. It's big staple in their show for a long, long time. Yeah, and that that's always a, you know, you said Afterglow was not the, the showcase for Steve Hackett, but then you go right into the big, probably one of his biggest, one I'm of his biggest. the rest of the set list here. I mean, it, things that people would know from that era is is uh, Firth of Fifth. And it was great. And his tone was really sharp on this night. And of course, on Firth of Fifth, you need a little sustain to hold some of those notes as you go back and forth. And I just thought it was it was brilliant. He did a wonderful job on that. Of course, that's one of those that you have to get right because people do know and love that song. And like you say, it's a showcase for him. But I thought it was a real highlight. And I knew I knew we're about maybe halfway or so through the show at that point. I'm like, yeah, that that was great. That that was worth the price of admission for sure. That was really good. Was he playing the Fernandez for that? That that looks like a Les Paul, but it's a Fernandez. It looks like Les Paul. Yeah, I mean, to the best of my knowledge, yeah, I was so far away, I couldn't even zoom in with my camera to (laughs) to know for sure. But that's what it looked like. I got to, I don't know, one day if I ever get to talk to him, I got to ask him about that. You can play whatever you want. Why do you like that guitar so much? Maybe it's just the way, just the way that he make he make it sound. Mm-hmm. It just, it, it's just interesting to me why people play certain instruments at certain times. Hard to know. Hard. To, I mean, I'm, I'm fairly certain he had a Les Paul back in the day. Yeah, that's why I'm saying. So this obviously must sound to him better than the Les Paul. There's something about it that mm-hmm. I like because it's not like I don't. I'm sure he has them at his home. Right. So just interesting. Yeah. No, it's it's a fair question. Maybe we'll know something. But then they got into the older stuff, like I Know What I Like in Your Wardrobe. There's a lot of poppy stuff in there, and then there's some stuff where they kind of go way out a little bit. Not one that, I, that had, I'd seen him do before. Peter Gabriel era song. Good. It went down very well. And then, of course, The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. Mm-hmm. 
title track was next. And it went over very well, too. Not one of the longer songs, considering it was on a double album of its name. But those two back-to-back, after Firth of Fifth, these are more geared toward a singer and the rest of the band together. And again, I thought Nat did a good job. And Steve did his parts very well. And Roger, of course, is orchestrating all this really well. Roger sometimes did not have the same tone as Tony Banks, so it didn't sound you know, exactly like Tony Banks, but as far as his ability to play it the right way was spot on. Like Maybe okay. the, the tone was not quite 100% matched to it, but as far as playing it the right way, he was spot on. He is awfully, awfully good. Well, and I think that comes from from having you know Steve Hackett being the, the lead on this deal. He can get whoever he wants. So yeah, he's going to attract top-notch musicians, and it is really cool to hear them play together. Somebody who's really, really good at their, not only playing their part, but also fitting into, like when the band is tight, mm-hmm. it's it's cool to watch too. Where there's not, like, you, you know, you hear, oh, well, they're, they don't make mistakes. It's not that, not that they don't make mistakes, but it's like they know, it, it, you anticipate what somebody else is going to do. Yeah, no, and I, I think maybe on one of the new songs either, it might have been Held in the Shadows, it sounded like, Something was off for for about 10 or 20 seconds. I'm like, well, somebody just hit something wrong or something got screwed <laughs> up. But they just kind of went along with it. The guy that you gotta got to have a lot of respect for is Rob Townsend. Talk about a utility infielder. We always talk about how great John Paul Jones is because he can play the organ and the keys and the bass and the mandolin and all that kind of stuff and, and other people who can mix things up. Rob Townsend was, for me, stage left, so to Steve Hackett's right. And he has a little area that he kind of sits in the middle of. And he has a keyboard there, and he has an electronic drum board there. He has two different kinds of saxophones. I think one's an alto, one's a tenor. He also has a flute. And so he switches between the two different saxophones. He plays the flute on a lot of songs. He puts a little bit of keyboard into some things. He played some electric drums there, especially on um, uh, clocks at the very beginning. And then when he's not doing that stuff, he takes a shaker and he keeps the beat. You know, and then he can come up and sing backup during some of these songs. I'm like, this guy is talent. I mean, no offense to Steve, he's obviously amazing, but like, this guy's unbelievable. Yeah, to to have somebody who can master all of those instruments is is pretty cool to watch and very valuable to have in your roster because you know, you what are you going to hire some uh, different? Okay, so we need another keyboard guy. Okay, now we need a saxophonist and we need somebody to play the flute. There's 28 people on stage. Now right. we got one guy who can jump between all of these things. It, it, it amazes me because to me, playing an instrument, one instrument is so hard. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing they're going to tell you it's like a language. You know, oh, once you learn how to speak another language, the other ones are easy. Okay, maybe. But maybe. to see somebody who's mastered that at a professional level is is just makes my head explode because I can't even do one of those things. I know, and he has a lot of energy. I, I don't know how old everybody is, and, and the drummer might be younger than all of them, but he seemed to be the younger guy on the stage, whereas Jonas Reingold, I think, is like exactly our age. And he was basically playing bass or being Mike Rutherford because he had one of those 12-string guitars on top and a bass on the bottom. So when they did some of this old Genesis stuff, and that's exactly what Rutherford would do, is he'd do 12-string in some parts and then go to the bass in others. He would move back and forth between those. And he was really good. I I think he was in the Flower Kings. Um, He's Swedish, and he was in the Flower Kings. And and that's kind of how a lot of this came together because Nad had been in a band with Roy Stolt from the Flower Kings, 
And they all kind of, and they did something called Unifon, which was kind of an ode to old school Genesis. And he got a lot of praise for sounding like Peter Gabriel and Phil Collins. So then Steve Hackett got to know all these guys. But Jonas Reingold, when he was just playing the bass, I thought he was awesome. And then to see him go back and forth on this next set of songs that came up next in the set. Yeah, he was sitting down because he's got to play that 12 string and then he might go to the bass. He might stand up a little bit for that. But after they did Lamb Lies Down... They did The Musical Box, then Supper's Ready, then The Cinema Show. You say, okay, well, that's three songs. And if this is Kiss, that's like 13, 14 minutes. But that was easily 45 minutes, (laughs) these three songs. Because the two, the bookends, Musical Box and Cinema Show, are both about 10 minutes. And Supper's Ready was every bit of 24, 25 minutes. As amazing as it was, it was almost like survival during Supper's Ready for me. Because I don't know that song inside and out. I may have sat down and listened to the whole thing once. Like, wow, that's epic. That's like a piece of classical music. That's amazing. But that's where the crowd, Jackson, really impressed me. Because they're singing every word. They're singing it so loud I couldn't even hear. I could hear them over Nad sometimes. Wow. And I'm like, that's not that's not because this is a top 10 single. This has never been played on the radio. They know that because they bought that album. And they was that Foxtrot? I think so, yeah. It was amazing how into it they all were. They were so psyched about it. And there's this kind of part in the middle where I can't see if I can remember the lyrics. It was because here's the thing. Look up the lyrics for Supper's Ready. It's a book. Okay, just remembering all this stuff has got to be tough. And there's these kind of all these different time changes and changes in the song. It's amazing. But there's this one point kind of in the middle where it says, we watch in reference as Narcissus is turned to a flower and things stop. And everyone goes, a flower? And the whole audience did it at the same time. <laughs> Because they're ready for it. You know, they, they yeah. know this song so well. I'm like, now that was fun. That was cool. They're, they're all so into it. And the ups and downs of it. Meanwhile, I'm up here. I'm way up in the nosebleeds. My knees are killing me because they've been bent. And I've been like with a shoehorn shoved into this little seat, you know. And I'm like, oh, my God. I just hope I make it through this. Like, this is amazing. But it's also like, God, how can they even do this every night? It's kind of amazing and the, the, to have those three back to back. And, you know, I know Cinema Show and I like it. The musical box, I knew. I wasn't as familiar with it. But I knew the song. And to see it live was great. I was like. That was cool. I was really glad I got to see that. Supper's ready. I don't know if I could sit through it again, honestly. It was not that it wasn't good. It was amazing. But it was like, oh, my God. There's so much to focus on. There's so much to know. It's one of those I should have listened to it a 100 times before I went to see them do it. Because the folks who had done that, they loved it. They thought it was amazing. Yeah. It's almost like, uh, what's, the, what's the one on uh, uh, Battle of Ipping Forest? Mm-hmm. It's almost like you gotta get you got to get yourself ready for that because that's – it's going to take a while. And I don't remember how long it is. But yeah, it, it's it's a meal. But the part that I really like about this part of the show now that you're telling me about is the fact that there are really fans of this. Are, I mean, they would rather see this than Genesis play the hits from the 80s and the 90s. This is this is what they grew up with. This is what they love. And back to that dude at your school. I mean, I don't know what you want me to tell you, man. They're they're reliving their their youth. They're they you know when they would sit there and listen to these records over and over and over again, so that you knew all of the different parts. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a bond that you're always going to have with this music. And the fact that somebody will still play it live is awesome. Because Gabriel's not going to do it, and Genesis isn't going to do it. That's right. This is the only place you can get it. And I think it's a big reason for a lot of Steve's success over the last dozen or 15 years or however you want to count it. Yeah, he's he's serving an underserved 
demographic. Yeah. Folks who want to see this, who love this stuff. Look, there are dozens of Genesis tribute bands, and they're not playing Misunderstanding. You know, they're not playing Tonight, Tonight, Tonight. They're playing this stuff, you know, because nobody else plays it. And it's so brilliant, and it was so influential on so many people. So, yeah, that's that's what I was getting out of it. Like, I'm privileged to be here. This might be a lot to take in. It's my fault for not knowing it better. But... Supper's ready, 24 minutes, whatever it was. Oh, my God. And when they finally wrapped it up, I was like, wow, that was amazing. And you did get some people standing up and clapping and cheering for that because it's an ordeal. They survived it, and it was amazing. Well, that's, that's what I like, too, when I, when I go to a show where I consider myself a fan. You know, I, I like these guys. I've heard their music before. And then you get there, and you're like, oh, wait a minute. There are some people who are really into this, and and it's it's more like when you go see a band like Rush, you know, where they pull out what they pull out a song, and which which one is this? But there are people singing along to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you realize that yes, as for as for as much as you love them, there are people that are like this is my band. This is the number one for me, and I I hold them above all others, and that's really cool to see. Yeah, it was great, and that's basically who's at that show. And then they, they kind of wrap up with Isle of Plenty off of Selling England by the Plow, which we like. And I'm like, that was great. And then they, they kind of wave and they go off. And then they come back to do Dance on a Volcano and then Los Endos. Uh, and I, I thought Dance on a Volcano was awesome. I thought the way they did it was so cool and it sounded great. I'm like, wow, this is great. Even after doing those three, those lengthy three songs plus Isle of Plenty, kind of shake it off, go back there, maybe get a drink of water or whatever. They can come back and really kick it on Dance on a Volcano. I was impressed. I was like, because I'm, maybe I stayed up a little late the night before, but like, I'm tired and all I have to do is sit here, you know, and, and, and they've got to get up there and perform and do it. And they've been doing it for two and a half hours. And then they come out there and, and kick it on Dance on a Volcano. I'm like, that's great. And then once they get into Los Endos, once they get about halfway through, I, I kind of make my way out. That's kind of my thing these days. I get out of there before the last note so I can hit the bathroom without anybody jumbling on me. I can walk out of the venue took a couple pictures, walked over and grabbed a sandwich and then jumped on the tube. And then when I was walking down the tube station, that's when like everybody was coming out to get on the tube. Uh, I'm like, yeah, I got to beat this crowd for sure. So I ran down there and and got home without issue. But I was, overall, it was a lot of fun. I was really psyched to see seconds out. Who's going to do a double live album from the 70s? The original band would never do that. So I thought it was a special night. Like I thought it was amazing when he did Spectral Mornings and Selling England by the Pound together. It was like, that's my favorite solo record, and that's my favorite old school Genesis record. So you did those two together in one night. I'm like, I, it couldn't get any better than that. That's super amazing. But then he did this, which has greatest hits, and obviously Deep Track, Supper's Ready, has to be considered a Deep Track. It's 24 minutes long. Correct. I, I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was a great opportunity to see these classics. And I, I'm encouraged that he'll kind of continue to do this until he can't, to be honest with you. And, and especially now, he was forced to take a break for so long. And in that time, put out two new records. Obviously, he still has the passion to play music. 
and to play alive. So you're right. I, th- I think that I mean the, he won't stop anytime soon, which is great news because he's not doing the same show all the time too, which is which is cool. You know, you change it up a little bit. You put you put some more, maybe more of your stuff in. Maybe you pick another record or another cross section of a couple records, put it together. Yeah, that is really cool because I guarantee you that that Genesis set probably doesn't change all that much. Probably not. But it's interesting you mention that because I thought the lighting at Steve Hackett show was really strong, really good, set the mood. And, you know, Nad wandered on and off stage many times. So we keep the spotlight in his spot. And then if he would leave it, we kind of dim out and they could put it on Roger or they could put it on Rob or something like that. But looking at pictures from the Genesis, that's a little different. That's a big arena show with an enormous budget. And the visuals and the lights for that look unbelievable to me. And I'm pretty psyched that I will soon, fingers crossed, be able to see that one as well. It's pretty neat that they're both touring right now in the same place, you know. Of course, that led to some speculation from not just myself, but from a lot of people that maybe at some point we'll see a special, you know, Steve will jump on stage with them for fourth or fifth or one or two songs or something like that. Or maybe Peter Gabriel will saunter out. Okay, none of that is going to happen. That is absolutely not. I'm 150% sure that's not going to happen. There's Steve in the past has always been like, I'm open to it. You know, and the reason we haven't done it before has never been because of me. And in recent years... In the 2007 tour that Genesis went on, that started as, okay, let's get the five of us back together. Let's go ahead and do that and maybe try to do Lamb Lies Down on Broadway or something like that. And Steve was into it, and Peter was into it at first, and then I think Peter realized, why would I do this to myself? You know, I I have my great life, I'm in complete control of my own destiny, and I don't need to get into all this infighting and sharing decisions and sharing the this and da-da-da-da-da. I was like, no, 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 I don't need to do it. So then they said, okay, Gabriel's out, the three of us will just go do our thing like we always do. And and that's when the 2007 tour came together. So it's it's not going to happen. And, and Steve has even been saying stuff lately like, yeah, look, they do, they're more of a singles band, whereas I'm an albums guy. So he's throwing a little shade their way these days, right? Yeah, they, they kind of have their own space they went down. I'm kind of honoring the old stuff. They can kind of do whatever they want. So it's, it's never, ever, ever going to happen. But I can't wait to see all the visuals like the big stage show, you know, something fun, kind of akin to Kiss, maybe not with all the fire and stuff like that and them flying through the air, but with with all the technology and neat stuff that they have. And we're going to get a pretty good opportunity October 12th that I see them in the O2. Yeah, Tuesday, October 12th. So we can review that one as well, Jackson. But uh, Yeah, I was going to say, I'd, I'd be interested to compare and contrast the two shows. Well, the thing is, we're going to get some apples-to-apples apples comparisons because they do Afterclub, and they do Lamb Lies Down on Broadway, and they do half of the cinema show, like the second part of cinema show. But of course, they do some Firth of Fifth. They do some I Know What I Like. They do Carpet Crawl. So there's a little bit of overlap here. I'm looking forward to see how it sounds with Phil sitting in his chair and Nick doing the drums. Because I got to give a quick shout out to the the only guy I really haven't spoken about on stage was the drummer, Craig Blundell. He was great. Keeping the beat. And doing all those fills, Phil Collins got a lot of praise as a drummer before he was ever a lead singer. And a lot of that Genesis stuff... 
is intricate. There's a lot of stuff going on with the drums, not just the keyboards and the guitars. So he's playing all that stuff really well. And to play that Supper's Ready with the different time changes and tempos and all that, along with everything else, I, I got to give praise to him. I thought he did a great job. Well, and that's one of the things that we talked about on the Selling England by the Pound show was, I mean, I grew up with Phil Collins as the singer, mm-hmm. right? From, you know, the 83 Genesis record forward. Yeah, I mean, when you go back and hear him play on the drums, he is very, I don't want to say underrated because I think people appreciate him, but you kind of forget that he is this phenomenal drummer more than, more way before he was ever a front man. So yeah, to hear the intricate parts is pretty cool because all of that stuff is not, the prog rock stuff is not straight ahead. You're going to get time changes. Right. You're going to get weird, odd signatures that you don't hear all the time. Yeah, and he, he did a great job powering the band through the, the whole time. You know, It's kind of like Roger's the musical director and Steve's up there doing his thing. And the thing is, like I said, it's been two years since I've seen live music. Usually it never goes more than a couple few months between shows for me, whether it's a big arena show or I'm just going to a club or or, or even a bar or something like that. So it had been a long time. And to see a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with a lot of incredible, incredibly talented musicians around him doing some really classic songs in a nice venue on a chill Monday night. I'm like, this is this is life trying to get back to normal for me. Yeah. And I appreciated it. I, I thought it was well worth the price of admission. Well, that's good. That, there's nothing, to me, there's nothing worse than going through that whole thing and then walking out saying, hmm, it was okay. Yeah, either the sound was off or, you know, maybe for whatever reason, the band wasn't feeling it that night. They just kind of were going through the motions. But yeah, to go out there and, and see them put their heart and soul into it and have everything work. Yeah, that's pretty cool. You definitely felt like it was money well spent. It was. It was fun. And and then, yeah, once I knew Genesis set list, I'm like, ah, well, in less than a month, I'm going to get to see them do their take on it. And obviously they have more equipment and lots of people on stage and all that kind of thing. But you still have to be able to play it. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, that, that would be interesting because I that's, that's more stuff than I thought they would play from the back catalog. Yeah, I mean, that's something to look forward to, I think, for a lot of people. They do they do Duchess for the first time since 1981 on tour. Okay. That's pretty cool. They do I Know What I Like. And yeah, they do Throwing It All Away and Invisible Touch. Well, you, you have to, yeah. yeah. You have to play that. You have to play That's All. I mean, you you got to play the hits. But they're doing Dancing with the Moonlit Night, so that's cool with me. I love that. And, you know, they're doing some of the longer post-Hackett Gabriel stuff. Like, they're doing Domino. They're doing Home by the Sea and Second Home by the Sea. So, I don't even know Fading Lights. I don't even know that song. They said it's the first time since 1992. So, I'm going to have to familiarize myself with that before I go. Alrighty. And, obviously, there's going to be some, like, I Can't Dance. That song sucks. I remember when it came out, I'm like, finally, Genesis is over. Finally, Genesis. Because through the 80s, it was Phil Collins and Genesis. They're Phil Collins and Genesis. Like, you couldn't escape them. And then I think it came out in, what, 91, 92, when we were freshmen or sophomores in college. Yeah. Like, oh, Genesis is back? Oh, we're going to have to endure four more singles from them that go all over the charts? And, and then it's I Can't Dance. I'm like, oh, no, no. That song sucks. That's going to kill it. And it more or less did. So, yeah, I might be getting a beer at that point. That's the time to use the restroom. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, thanks for tuning in to episode 44 there and listening to my review of Steve Hackett live at the Palladium here in September. It was a great night out for me. I really loved seeing Steve live. I thought his tone was right on. I thought his band was very tight. 
thought the way they played those epic classics, whether it was Steve's solo stuff or the Seconds Out Genesis stuff, was really amazing. They did a great job, and the crowd was way into it. I had a really nice night out. It's too bad Jackson couldn't be there with me, but hopefully he'll be able to go see some shows in the stateside there soon, and I'll be able to interview him on uh, those shows coming up. And if you get a chance to see Steve Hackett and his extraordinary band, I highly recommend it. He's going to be touring throughout the UK more through October of this year. Then he goes in November to continental Europe for a bit. Got a couple acoustic shows, I think, maybe in December. Then he goes back to continental Europe in the early spring, maybe March or so, and goes to America. These are all makeup dates that he was going to supposed to be doing the last couple of years here. And then I think he's back in Europe again, going to Australia. So he's doing a lot of amazing stuff in his 70s. And if you've got a chance to see him, I highly recommend it. So as usual, folks, were you there? Did you see the show? Did I get it right? Did I get something wrong? Did I miss the point? Hey, let us know. Send us a DM or tweet us at ugly underscore werewolf or at actionjack72. Let us know what's up. Let us know what your favorite parts are. Of course, our shows come out on Thursdays and you can get them anywhere. Apple, Spotify, Google Play, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts. And you can check out all past episodes at www.uglyamericanwerewolf.libsyn.com. Next week, we're going to have a special guest on, a super rock and roll fan who's also a talented photographer and who's released a book, Going for Broke, Volume 1. That's Kirk Angelides, who's been following the Stones, seen them for more than 50 years, and has been going to their concerts and getting snapshots of them for more than 45 years. He's gone to over 130 Stones and Stones-related shows, and he's quite a character. I think you really enjoy that show, so make sure you subscribe and tune in when that's available. So until next time, rock and rollers all over the world, be cool and stay safe. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.